0: Luke chapter 11 is where we are going to be in just a moment here. Well, do you like the beginning of a new, fresh year? Something about like breaking out a new calendar that's all clean, doesn't have anything on it yet. And it gives us all hope that this year we will truly grow into the you know, make strides, living fuller, healthier, better lives, better versions of ourselves. I don't know about you, but uh, this year I'm going to get in 20,000 steps a day. I'm going to eat only vegetables. I'm going to read five books a month, take my wife on three dates a week, and and I'm going to floss this year. So, you know, as long as we're setting unreasonable expectations, right? You know, why not? Well, as Benji and I talked about, uh, what are our hopes and goals for us as a church this year? One of the things that just came right to the forefront was we want to grow as, as a people, as a congregation, in prayer together. Now, this may seem very elementary. I mean, from the, if you grew up in the church from the time you're you know, knee-high, you've heard Bible, Jesus, prayer over and over again, Right. But prayer is, is something, I don't know about you, but I, I need to grow in this year. And I don't think it's unrealistic for us to set this as a goal for our church. Now, historically, if you've been around here very long, you know that we've uh, historically set aside the first three Sundays for the same things every year. First Sunday of the year, you could bank on, we'd come and we'd hear about the glory of God. Because the glory of God is the, the reason we exist. It's the reason we exist as a church, Is the reason we were created individually. So we talk about that every first Sunday of the year. The next two Sundays you could count on the fact that you would hear about the sanctity of life and racial reconciliation. Two issues that are close to God's heart, that are culturally relevant and important to ad- address with biblical truth. This year we're doing something a little different. Uh, we're going to spend these days talking about prayer. And I want to let you know it's not... Because we've grown uh, less convinced that we have any less conviction about things like the glory of God or the sanctity of life or the importance of racial justice, rather, uh, as we've thought about this, we want to begin this year focusing on prayer because we are convinced that that things like the glory of God and the outworking of God's purposes in the world are deeply connected with the health of the church. And our living independence on God and seeking him in prayer. God said through the prophet Jeremiah chapter 9. He said, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he, he understands and knows that I am the Lord. I am the one who executes justice. And steadfast mercy and righteousness in all the earth. In other words, God's heartbeat, his, his longing for us is that, that we would trust this year, not in our own resources, not in our own intellect or wisdom, not in our own strength, but, but in his, that we would grow increasingly reliant and trusting in his resources, his wisdom, his strength. D. Martin Lord Jones, one of the preeminent pastors of the last century, he put it like this. Prayer is is the highest activity of the human soul. And therefore, it is at the same time the ultimate test of a person's true spiritual condition. There is nothing that tells the truth about us as Christian people so much as our prayer life. He goes on to say, everything that we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but when I heard that, I, I resonated deeply with, with a lot of, of that. Both uh, It kind of sent shivers up my spine, like, wow, the, the <laughs> nothing tells the truth about me so much as my prayer life. I'm not sure that's an encouraging thing <laughs> to hear. But I deeply resonated with, there's nothing so hard that we can do in our life or everything is easier in, in a Christian life than prayer. I hope I'm not the only one. Actually, I hope I am the only one who resonates with that, but I'm guessing I'm not. Now, thankfully, Jesus is a realist. He knows us. And so I want you to, as we listen to this passage today, breathe a sigh of relief. When somebody asks him about prayer, he doesn't say, I can't believe that you don't know how to pray. Or that you're not that good at prayer. No, he doesn't respond that way at all. In fact, he's eager to help us in our weakness in prayer. So if you're able, if uh, you would stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. We're going to read Luke 11, verses 1 to 13. Listen to God's word. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray Who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. and My children are in bed with me and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you that though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat. So the disciples who have been learning and watching Jesus and living with him, watch him pray and they notice something's different. Something's different about the way this guy prays. And so they they want it. They want that kind of a prayer life. And one of them says, Lord, teach us to pray. John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. We teach us to pray? I'm so grateful for this unnamed disciple that they were vulnerable enough to admit that they needed help and that they wanted to learn. Like I said, I feel like a novice when it comes to prayer. It doesn't come naturally to me. Honestly, a lot of times it can feel like work. I can get prayed out after just a short time. I don't really pray. And then, you know, you look at the watch and wow, well, it's not been that long. I find myself praying the same phrases over and over. And I think, man, I feel like I'm just saying the same things. Lord, help teach me to pray. And I want to ask, would you make that your request of Jesus this year? We would we collectively say, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, if you pray that prayer, there's so many good resources out there to teach us to pray. I'm listening to a a great four-part podcast right now. I'd recommend to you, John Mark Comer. Uh, It's on the practicing the way and learning how to pray. I'm learning a lot from it. You might pick up Ben Patterson's book. Ben, who's in our church, God's Prayer Book. that just helps us figure out how to use uh, the prayer book in God's Bible, the Psalms, and and learn how to pray through that. It's very helpful. You could come and join Ben and Loretta and myself and others who pray weekly uh, right back here in the fellowship hall every Wednesday morning at 6.45 to 7.45 or just come for part of it. it try to learn how to pray uh, through the scriptures. It's so rich. But one of the best ways, of course, we can learn how to pray is simply by learning directly from Jesus. When he said pray this. He was saying, start by just reciting this. Uh, we know that the early Christians recited this prayer. They, they prayed it three times every day. Um, we can start there. Dallas Willard uh, said, you only move beyond this prayer provided you stay within it. In other words, it, accompan- it it. encompasses so much that is rich for our prayer life. Now, I don't have time to unpack even all of this short little prayer for us today, but I want to draw our attention to uh, three little things. And the first is this: just the way Jesus addresses God. He didn't say our teacher, he didn't say our king, he didn't say my friend. He could have said all oh, God is all of those things, but he said Father, Abba. And this is so important. If I asked you, <clears throat> what does it mean to be a Christian? what would be the first thing that comes to your mind? Would it be, well, Christians believe in the Trinity and Christians believe in the resurrection and Christians believe that the Bible is the word of God. Is it When you think of Christianity, is the first thing intellectual? What you think, what you believe? That's part of it. Uh, maybe for you, you think of something more ethical. Like the Christian life is about... Uh, It's about seeking uh, justice. It's about pursuing social justice or or pursuing a particular way of life, the life of holiness. Is that what comes to your mind about what it means to be a Christian? If so, those are good things to come to mind. But Jesus reminds us with this very first word, Father, that the Christian life begins and ends. It's so fundamentally not just intellectual or volitional, it's relational. What it means to be a a Christian is to be someone who is living with and for and in relationship with God. uh, The God who is our Father. Now there's something about this that cannot be reduced to to a philosophy, the way we think, or, or a moral code. It's much deeper than that. Now, even just saying the word Father, I know in a room this size a lot of different things come to mind. Um, Because we all have certain conceptions of fatherhood that are based on our experience with our earthly dads, for better or for worse. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget the, the Father's Day that my son Josh, now 21, he was probably four or five at the time, uh, brought me home something that he had made in preschool. You know, parents, we get these gifts from our kids that they make in school. And, and that year, uh, the teachers had cut out little strips in the shape of a tie, and they probably made out of a pillowcase or something like that, and strapped a little elastic strap around it, and the kids painted it. And Josh wrote on, on the tie, Dad. Although he got mixed up between the D's and the B's, you know, lowercase. And so it just said, bad. And he, I, I could tell he looked at that and thought, that's not quite right. So underneath he, he fixed it and wrote, dad. And so he presented me with this tie that now read, bad dad. It's like, I want you to know, you are a bad dad. Happy Father's Day, you know. Wear it around so everybody else knows you are a bad dad, you know. Well... There are people in this room who, when, when you hear the word father, you think of the man you respect most in life, you admire. And there are others of you who think bad dad, who think of the ways that your dad wounded you. Still others think of the father who is virtually or truly absent from your life, disconnected uh, from what really mattered to you. Where, whatever your experience of, of dad was in your life, of father, I want to encourage you to let God define fatherhood rather than the way that your father imperfectly defined dad and therefore uh, what God is as father. God's fatherhood is defined by his goodness, by his wisdom, by his love for you, and not the imperfect ways that our earthly dads have loved us. Now, Jesus fleshes out exactly the kind of. Uh, father and God, God is and is not. He tells these two stories. Did you get them at the the end of that passage? The first one is a story about a man who welcomes an unexpected person from out of town. Now, in Jesus' time, hospitality was a very big deal. In ancient Near East, there was nothing more shameful than if a house guest arrived and you had nothing to feed them with. And and this person gets an unannounced guest in the middle of the night, and he's got nothing. And so he thinks, "What, what can I do? And so the only thing he thinks to do is go next door, even though it's the middle of the night. And he starts pounding on the door. I need something, help. He explains the situation and, of course, gets the response, go away. I'm in bed. This is not the right time. But this guy is audacious enough to keep banging, keep pursuing. No, you don't understand. I can't go to bed. I got to go back. And, help. and Jesus says, this guy, even though he's a grumpy neighbor, because of this guy's persistence and audacity, he will eventually give him what he needs. Now, the point is not that God is like the grumpy neighbor who's just reluctantly like, okay, they keep asking. It, the point is how much more if this guy who doesn't even want to give his neighbor something, how much more your father enjoys hearing you ask how quickly he will be to respond to you, how present he will be. The second story is about, well, it's about bad dads. (laughs) It's about dads who are, are imperfectly caring for their kids. And he says, even though you are all imperfect dads out there, you won't trick your kids or try to, you know, change out something if they ask you for something that's good you're not going to give them something evil instead and if that's the case how much more will the perfect father the heavenly father the one who loves you deeply will listen to your quest and respond with what is best with the holy spirit now that being the one who we are coming to to address jesus says come to that father who you can be assured that will listen sympathetically to what you want and who delights in you and and basically bring before him two concerns. The first concern is is for God's honor himself. Did you see it? The The prayer begins, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, or in Matthew's version, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this is a prayer uh, this, this is revolutionary if you really think about it. Because we spend most of our time thinking about ourselves. And we live in a culture and an age which enthrones the self. We talk a lot about self actualization and self reliance and self determination and self esteem and, and on and on we could go. And Jesus turns this on its head. Not that God doesn't care about ourselves, but he says, pray for God's honor. Now this is remarkably freeing. If you think about it, the life of Jesus always starts with worship life with Jesus and the life he calls us to starts with worship. And the rest of the Christian life is fueled by this understanding of God's greatness and every part of his being. So listen to this. This It's so important. All Christian mission, all Christian evangelism, all Christian service, all Christian discipleship, all Christian fellowship. It stands or falls on our conception of God's worthiness to be honored and treasured above all else. And so we pray, God, hallowed be your name, honored be your name, your kingdom come. When we pray that, we're praying both for ourselves and the world Uh, that may no unworthy thought of you enter into my mind. And may no word or deed of ours lead others to think less highly of you than they ought to think of what is true about you. When we pray for God's kingdom to come, we're saying, God, have mercy and, and restore to this earth the perfect peace that comes from recognizing your good and true authority over our lives. Put an end to all pretenders to your throne. Reign in this world. Reign in our hearts. Come back soon, Lord Jesus. And make the kingdoms of this world the kingdom of our God. Now all of that is wrapped up in in this petition. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. That's pretty lofty stuff, is it not? Jesus' prayer moves us from, from our concerns with our little reputation and our own little empires and our own silly little desires to God's name, God's will, God's kingdom. And again, this, this will be liberating the more we experience it. it, frees us from our fears and worries and anxieties. But it's not that God doesn't care about our worries, anxieties, and needs Because that's exactly what Jesus says, bring those to our God and Father as well. So the prayer ends with petitions about daily bread that we need and forgiveness of sins and and our temptations. Think about this. So good. He says, talk to God about the things you need. Uh, Daily bread stuff, really practical. It's not that God is so high and lofty and doesn't care about our actual lives. No. No. But when we come to God, he says, be honest, be real about what it is that's going on in your life and what you need, what you want. We all have needs that are insufficient uh, for us to provide ourselves for. There are some in this room, probably not many, but some, who are kind of free from financial worries. Uh, You don't worry about that too much. But all of us, no matter what our financial resources are, There are things that we're unable to do anything about our health, the welfare of our loved ones, uh, spiritual condition of those that we care about. And we bring those things. Jesus says, go ahead, pray. God, I need these things. God loves to hear it. He also says, pray, forgive us our sins. I'm so glad that we can acknowledge. In fact, Jesus impels us and encourages us to to acknowledge before him that that we're flawed creatures. We've made terrible choices. And like Isaiah, remember Isaiah, when he comes into God's throne room, he says, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. It's not just me, God, it's this whole world I live in. So we're able to come before God and acknowledge, it's not just that I've made terrible choices, Other people have made terrible choices that impact me as well. So forgive me my sins and allow me to forgive others. This is a a beautiful prayer that, that, uh, yeah, that we would experience the freedom of living in God's grace. Lastly, he says, lead us not into temptation. And this is simple acknowledgement that all of us have warped desires. Augustine talks about we have a will, a heart that is curved in on ourself. We are designed to have a will that flows toward, out towards other people and towards God. And yet somewhere along the line that our fallen nature just curves in towards ourself. And we experience the temptations and desires that come along with that. And when we get what we want, we find ourselves in places of guilt and shame. And even when we... Experience that. We find ourselves going back to those places of guilt and shame again and again. Yes, our own heart leads us to terrible places. And, and Jesus says, go to your father who, who is protective and caring. And ask him to protect you from that very impulse within yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but this, again, feels liberating. Liberating. That, that Jesus is saying, you don't have to hide or make yourself look good when you come to God, your Father. He knows. He sees what's in your life, in your heart. And yet so much of our life is spent trying to make ourselves look good, isn't it? And curating our social media presence or fixing our shirt or whatever. We're, we're trying to make hair look good. We want to be respected. We want to be admired. We want to be loved. And, and Jesus says, you don't have to do that in your relationship with God. You can be honest. Don't bother trying to hide. Don't bother trying to dress yourself up when it comes to God in prayer. Just admit who you are. He knows. What a ludicrous proposition anyway to try to make yourself look good in God's presence, right? Uh, if you weren't here last Sunday, uh, go back and listen to Dave Peterson's sermon. Uh, Dave filled in last week. Just Great message. Uh, He told a story in that of of this situation he had in high school where he was convinced to become a student representative for the school board and just how much time he wasted uh, by himself doing this. And as I was listening to him, I thought, I've got a story remarkably like that. And it kind of tied into what we were talking about this week. uh, When I was in high school, my mom uh, came to me and she said, I just saw this something advertisement that I think would look good on your college application. And as a firstborn and kind of compliant kid, I was like, okay, tell me what it is. And it's a marching handbell choir that's going to play in the Rose Bowl. (laughs) So again, stop laughing at me. You've done (laughs) stupid things too. So I said yes to this, and I spent many Saturdays during that year practicing, marching around, ringing bells. and But that wasn't even the worst part of this whole thing. The worst part was the outfit that we actually dressed up in. Now, just think about this for a moment. Royal blue tuxedo shirt, white tuxedo pants, white shoes, gold sash, white top hat, and of course, the white gloves. Now, any of you would be ashamed to be seen even outside your own room in that. And I marched around in front of tens of thousands of people ringing those bells, you know. And I think back about that and think, I was stupid enough to think that somebody at the, you know, esteemed Westmont College applica- you know, admissions was going to look at that and think, whoa, we got to have this guy <laughs> at Westmont. <laughs> Who was I fooling? Probably not the reason I got into Westmore. You know what? But we do the same stupid things all the time. When we feel the need to, to dress up, to make ourselves look good before God. We sin and then we think, oh, I can't come in my sinfulness before God in prayer. I'm going to wait a week and then I'll come back to him when I've got my life back together. As if God's going to somehow forget or that we're going to make ourselves look really good in that week or whatnot. Or we're just not going to pray about certain parts of our life that, that are too messy to bring before God. Jesus says, stop playing that game. You don't have to play that game. Don't dress or try to you know, dress up pretty for God. He, he wants to hear your honest, raw prayers. Have you ever read through the Psalms recently? They're full of all kinds of just raw Human emotions, jealousy and anger and sadness and all kinds of things. Doubt. And, and God, in putting them in our very Bible, has said, this is the kind of prayers I want to hear from you. I want to hear what's really in your heart and on your life. Now, there's so much more that could be said about this. But I want to simply ask you, as we launch into a new year, 2024, will you commit to learning how to pray, to asking God, teach me how to pray. We pray that the Holy Spirit would, would work in a fresh way in your life and in our life together as a church. We pray that God would bless Santa Barbara Community Church so that we could be a blessing to our community and to our world. We pray for the children of this church to grow up to love Jesus. We pray for our youth to catch a vision for How God wants to use them in their unique gifting. We pray for the the grief stricken and the sick among us. We pray that our home groups would be much more than just kind of a weekly meeting obligation that we show up to. But rather that they would be true community, Christian community. Hot houses of prayer and scripture study. Will you pray this year for the salvation of those who don't know Jesus? Will you pray that those who have lost their zeal for the Lord would find a renewed fervor for God's kingdom and God's mission? Will you pray for prodigals to come home and the lonely to find a place in families? Will you pray? Do you know the name Charles Spurgeon? Spurgeon was one of the the greatest preachers of the the 19th century. He he preached in London at the London Metropolitan Tabernacle. I mean, even the name of his church sounds like highfalutin, right? Uh, He was an amazing preacher, Thousands came to Christ, uh, during his ministry. Over 200 churches were planted from their church during his time there. An orphanage was founded and much, much more. He was the kind of pastor that, that young pastors aspired to be. And so they would come, make pilgrimage almost to, to his church to meet the great man and learn the secret of his ministry. And Spurgeon was very, uh, he was very inviting to these young pastors who would come to see him. One, one group of young pastors came to visit, and they wanted to see the inside of the tabernacle, which seated, I think, five to 10,000 people. It was massive. And they wandered around, and they asked his questions, and he was very good about answering all this stuff. And at the end, he said, would you like to see my boiler room? Now, boiler room at that time in the 1800s, was everything was run by steam power, and, and so boiler rooms did everything from heat the family home to power factories. And and people knew what boiler rooms were. They were dark, dirty places. And so these young pastors, uh, oh, wow, well, you look at the time. We've, we've, we're going to politely bow out. But Spurgeon insisted. He said, no, I want you to see my boiler room. So he led them downstairs to the basement, and he opened this door, and there were 100 people on their knees praying. And he said, this is our boiler room. The message to these young guys was the power for everything worthwhile eternally happens through prayer. His kingdom comes through prayer. God works effectively through the preaching of his word when, when people pray. And worthwhile that we want in life is worth praying diligently for. And I want to ask you, will you be part of Santa Barbara Community Church's boiler room this year? whether that's Wednesday morning prayer or would you just gather a couple friends to meet for a half hour a week and say, let's pray, not just pray for, you know, your grandma and my neighbor and her dog, but will we pray together for God's kingdom to come for his name to be hallowed, for his purposes to be worked out through the church. Now there's, there's one danger in preaching about prayer No, it's probably a lot. But um, as I think about it, we live in such a head-oriented thing that that we might read a book or hear a sermon or a podcast and think, I've learned about that. I check it off. But we haven't even started yet. And so I want to finish today by praying, like actually praying together. So what I'm going to ask you to do some of you may feel uncomfortable to do, and if you do, you can just pray by yourself. But I want to ask you if you would just turn little clumps of three, four, five people. And again, you can just say, I'm going to pray on my own. But I'm just going to lead us briefly through praying the Lord's Prayer, phrase by phrase. We're going to take less than a minute on each phrase. And don't go on and on in your prayers, we're going to pray aloud. And you might just add, Lord, have mercy, or please, Lord, or just keep it to a short sentence. But... Um, we're going to do that. So if you feel comfortable, just turn in little clumps, and I'm going to lead us quickly through praying this prayer together. <clears throat> All right. The first phrase, our Father who art in heaven, just consciously position yourself before our Father in heaven and give thanks together that we can be called his children through Jesus Christ. Thank him for his fatherly love, his heavenly perspective, his power, etc. Let's do it. hallowed be thy name. Ask that God would be treasured and loved in our individual lives, in our church, and in our world. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you ask that we as God's children would truly show the world what it looks like to live according to God's will? Pray for God's peace and justice to reign. Pray for Christ to come back and set all things right. Let's pray for his kingdom to come. Give us this day our daily bread. Thank God that he knows and sympathizes with our needs. And ask God to give you what you need. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, silently or aloud if you want confess any sins you can think of. And ask for grace to be quick to forgive those who sin against us. Ask that the church would be a place where we can breathe in the fresh air of his grace. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Confess our weakness to God, stand up and to stand up to temptation. We can't stand up to temptation on our own. Ask for God's protection and empowering in your life. The early church added this little phrase to the end, that thine is the kingdom. Yours, Lord, is the power and the glory forever. Amen. And as the Heidelberg Catechism reminds us, amen means this, that this shall truly and certainly be. For my prayer is much more certainly heard by God than I am persuaded in my heart that I desire such things for him. So let's all say with gratitude and confidence in the Lord, Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to come to this table. By the way, that is a beautiful sound of hearing the murmur through the church. May it continue. But uh, we come to this table. This table is the foundation for why we can pray to God as our father. It's how we know that he is a good father. He sent his son, Jesus, so that we could be forgiven. This bread, this wine represents Jesus' body and blood that was poured out for us. It was broken for us that we might be called his children. So come with confidence this morning. If, you, if you've never said to God, I want to be in your family. I want to be able to pray to you like Jesus did. This can be the day you come and just acknowledge your, your need for him and his sufficiency to be your savior and your Lord. And this table is yours. So let's come and worship, take these elements together and sing. Amen.